Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everybody, I'm glad that you could join me today because we get to speak with Kathleen Gallagher, who's a poet, writer, playwright, and film director. Now, sometimes when I start talking with people on this podcast, I just have a sense that it's going to be a great conversation. And I had that sense talking with Kathleen. I actually went into the recording with her, having come from a pretty stressful day. There had been lots of emails, unexpected phone calls, lots of demands, and I was feeling quite frazzled. But as soon as we started our conversation, I started to feel like it was a drawing back to what's important in life. You'll understand what I mean when you start listening to what she has to say. Here's an excerpt from our conversation, just to give you a flavor. The esoteric language, the esoteric mataranga, the, the, the old knowledge is inside the reo. And, uh, but just simple words like aroha is love, and aro is in the presence and ha of the breath. And the old wisdom is right there. Mm. Um, they're both listening profoundly listening to the environment, their cultures of profound listening to the birds and mm. the connection observing. with nature. Yeah, mm. and observation of trees and the moon and the stars. Mm. And, you know, we can get into the zone of just this people interaction and this endless talking and mm. watching what people are doing, incredibly anthropomorphic sort of. And um, it, it's a great mistake, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is old matauranga, or old wisdoms and knowings. Mm-hmm. Now let's turn to that conversation with Kathleen. But just before we do that, for some of you, this will be the first episode of a Seeds podcast that you've listened to. And if you enjoy what you hear, then you might want to go back and check out because there's more than 75 other interviews with inspiring people, asking them what they do, but more importantly, why they do it. And also, if you enjoy this conversation with Kathleen, which I'm sure you will, you might want to check out her most recent novel, Inangahua Gold. And at the end of the interview, she does a reading from that and also sings us a waiata. Now here's the conversation with Kathleen. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Kathleen Gallagher, who's a poet playwright, author, and filmmaker. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Stephen. Um, It's great to have you here um, because we're going to be talking a lot about writing and um, some of the books and poems and other things that you've written over the years. Um, But And I I really want to understand the creative process for you and some of the topics that you've written on and why you've written on them. Um, But I love with the guests to go back to the beginning of their life and understand some context about where they're from. So if we could just start there and just give us a sketch in terms of like where were you born and where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born here in Rickerton in Christchurch where you're interviewing. Oh, right. <laughs> and I've so never been interviewed in Rickerton before. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, Dean's well, Bush uh, Putaringa Motu, which is just, just down the road, about yeah. two blocks down the road from here, is... Uh, our school backed onto it, and I used to play in that bush. Um, oh. And that's the uh, oldest reserve in New Zealand. That, it's amazing, isn't it? That bush there, when yeah. When you go walking through it and you see the tall trees and you imagine what it was like when there was more. 
Yeah, so it's pretty privileged I, to grow up by mm. Dean's Bush. So did you enjoy the outdoors and that was a big part of your childhood? Yeah, I think, yeah, the bush and the rivers and the, and the beaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you really can't, I couldn't grow up here without them being a huge part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Was and, that a, in the a, mountains? Yeah. Was that a part of your family's culture, if you like, as well? Did you go out as a family, or was yeah, it? yeah, we went out as a family. We spent a lot of time at the beaches, I guess, as a family in the rivers, and mm. and uh, and at school we were right beside the bush, <laughs> so we spent time in the bush. Yeah. It's pretty handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what sort of subjects did you enjoy, you know, as a young child? Did you, at that point, did you enjoy writing and reading? and, Or was it more science and maths? Yeah, I liked maths. Um, I liked... I it's liked okay to like everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I like from a very young age... Uh, I was brought up in mostly in the uh, Irish, uh, Catholic, um, Celtic community here, mm-hmm. and uh, so we did a lot of singing, and we memorised very long songs from very young ages, from the ages of you know four and five. And, mm. um, was that because of your parents' background? Had they come over? Or? No, they mm-hmm. they grew, they lived here. They were you know three, four, five, six generations New Zealand, but the the, um, the community here is really strong. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of, um, on a lot of weekends we'd spend, like we would spend gathering together with family and friends, um, uh, reciting poetry, um, mm. singing long ballads, singing songs together, Irish dancing. Mm. Um, and, uh, so the arts is quite a big part of your childhood. Yeah, the scholar gypsy tradition, I think, was probably the the Celtic one, the, the way of telling the stories. Yeah. Hmm. What does that involve? Well, it's that's a storytelling tradition, I guess. For me, it's in in Ireland when the English um, took over, they they didn't have access. The Irish didn't have access to um, putting their information in newspapers so they would sing the stories mm. and balladeers would go from pub to church to pub and around about singing the stories of what had happened and um, over the 400 years of occupation mm. and uh, so song and, and dance I guess were pretty mm pretty key in that mm-hmm. yeah. and your parents they they were both um, did they enjoy writing as well? Uh, yeah, my dad is a really good writer, yeah. And um, I, I think my mum, like, she really liked reciting poetry. She liked... Expressing. The, the, the dramatic, the, the reciting of the poetry. and Because mm-hmm. um, it was very strong in her family that you, you would recite the poetry or you'd sing the songs, mm. and, yeah. So it sounds like it was with you right from the beginning, this love of writing and poetry and performance. Yeah, yeah. And in our street, in um, Kornani Street, we had other neighbours. We had the Nepias and they had, um, we had a lot of contact with them and they had a lot of tradition inside the, inside the Māori world, which also involved 
a lot of um, a lot of kōrero and standing up and speaking and singing and mm. um, so that tradition was there too. Yeah. Mm. We had other neighbours who were Dutch and uh, they used to we used to include them in our party, so they used to sing in Dutch and <laughs> <laughs> so we had different pretty we, multicultural. We had different <laughs> we had different people singing different and reciting different from their different traditions. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that sort of Te Ao Maori. Um, perspective was that your first introduction to it? Those neighbours, or yeah, well, I was sort of surrounded by it really because we had new neighbours on both sides that were heavily involved in it, mm-hmm. and um, also my teacher and we had a teacher in Standard Three, and she taught us a lot of Māori. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, so I had one teacher at school that taught us Māori, a lot of Māori songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I can remember in primary school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask because that seems to infuse a lot of what you're doing now, particularly this book here that we've got between us. Because I went to, you gave a reading now, I think it was last week, wasn't it? And it was just a, an influence that I seemed to notice that, that you you were reading some te reo. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really, be really great when we're bilingual here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. That's influenced me all my life as much as the Celtic world, the right. Māori world has, yeah, mm. has, yeah, both of those worlds have, you know, sort of grown up inside them and around them. And mm. So what do you appreciate most about the Celtic world and then about the Te Ao Māori world? How do they contrast and what do you take from each tradition? Well, in my, they're, they're, they're very similar um, the Te Ao Māori world describes where we are here. Um, so the esoteric language, the esoteric mataranga, the, the, the old knowledge is inside the reo. And uh, I don't know much Irish, um, and it's possible that's the case there too. Uh, but just simple words like aroha is love and aro is in the presence and ha of the breath and the old wisdom is right there Mm. Um, they're both listening profoundly listening to the environment their cultures of profound listening to the birds and mm. the connection observing. with nature. Yeah, mm. and observation of trees and the moon and the stars mm. and um, it's something that the like in a broadly categorizing here, but in Western world we don't take as much notice of things like the passing of the seasons. Um, I lived in Japan for five years, and in Japan they have special words for things like going out to look at the cherry blossoms. So hanami, it literally means go look at the pretty flowers, you know, like yeah. hanami, look at flowers. And so people will go out, it's springtime, and they'll have these parties and sit underneath the trees and just appreciate the beauty of the world. And, yeah. and the same in autumn when the trees are changing color, they call it koyo, and that's um, going out to see the red 
changing of the trees and people will drive to, to forests that are the most beautiful ones. And when I was living there, I often thought, this is something that I never see back in New Zealand or in other countries. It's, it's a real um, focus on nature and, and yeah. the beauty that's there. I think you do see it here, but mm. you maybe do not see it in the, um, maybe in the English New Zealand culture mm. so much. Though even inside that culture, there'll be areas where you do. Yeah. So the kōwhai blossom, it blossoms and you know when to go up into the bush because the blossom, the blossom's coming and then it's safer to go up into the mountains. Right. So all these things you watch, mm. you know, you watch yeah, when the blossoms come and when the fruits come. And, mm. and I think people who work on the land and mm. gardeners and farmers and people like that. that They're um, attuned to it, aren't they? Yeah, you you become fisher, people who fish, you know, because you watch, you know, sit and watch, you watch the water and you watch what moves in the water and you you take time to be quiet in these places mm. and that's something that I think has been forgotten and it needs to be attended to now mm. immediately mm. and so that's what I write about in Inangahua Gold because mm-hmm. it's it's turning our gaze to that which is it's attending to that so so at the beginning of each chapter or some of the chapters you see a picture of a of a bird like a you might see a tui or a tuna which is an eel or a kokopu which is an adult inanga white bait and as much as we're watching them they're watching us you know, that's what we forget, really, that we, you know, we can get into the zone of just this people interaction and this endless talking and mm-hmm. watching what people are doing, incredibly anthropomorphic, sort of. And um, it, it's a great mistake, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is old matauranga, or old wisdoms and knowings. Mm-hmm. So I've gone back to this period in 1857 when when Māori was the spoken language here in this country. And um, and I've sort of explored then what people brought with them when they came in and what was here and, mm-hmm. yeah, and mm. what we have to remember. Mm. So, because remember is like, you know, we've got to remember, we've got to remember ourselves mm. now. Mm. And then mm. we can go forward. Yeah. No, I like all that. I like listening to you talk as well. You're very <laughs> measured, and it, it makes me feel peaceful <laughs> just listening to you. <laughs> so it's oh, wonderful. Um, the term that is used these days is kind of a trendy term, but they say mindfulness. Yeah. Is that something that you're keeping an eye on and watching? And is what you're describing different to mindfulness? Uh I think it's a, an expansion of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's good to do it outside, because um, when you're outside, you can watch. You know, you can watch a butterfly um, just sitting on a leaf, and then you might watch her, you know, move, and, mm-hmm. or you can 
feel a fly crawl up your arm um, or, or watch a bumblebee, you know, mm. um, with a flower. Or it's, um, it's being attentive to the... Uh, that which is, mm. you know, which is all around us. But if we keep ourselves inside and in and, and rooms and be mindful, well, um, it's probably a little bit of the way there, but mm. it's good to lift ourselves. Mm. <laughs> and it's probably harder to do it in climates that are more extremely cold or more extremely hot. Mm. Whereas in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we have a fairly temperate climate. You can put a few warm clothes on and get outside or or take a few off and, you know, you're, you're okay. You can generally manage to be outside most of the year. Mm. So that's our privilege. Yeah, definitely. So your encouragement to people would be to go out and simply be still and enjoy the nature around them and, and actively be in the moment? Yeah, yeah, just go just go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't even need to catch a fish or, yeah. or just go bird watching. There's quite a few different ways you can do it. It's so hard, though, because we get pulled by our devices, in my experience. You know, the phone, there's a message. Oh, there's an email that's come in, a Facebook post. Oh, look, what, what's the latest news? There's many distractions in our world, isn't there? Yeah, and often the news is, is anthropomorphic. It's about what people are doing. And often we're just going around and around in circles anyway. Mm. So it, it is really important what we attend to. So it is important what we're mindful of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. That's really great. So just coming back to your childhood and I guess in sort of high school years, what sort of a person, looking back with hindsight, what sort of a person were you? What did you enjoy doing? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the... What made you enjoy everything? Was th- I'm trying to get into what formed you into a person who's become who you are today. Like, were there influences? Was there an event that happened or a person? Or is it just natural, this is how you are? Oh, these are the people that I grew up around. Mm-hmm. There's my mum and dad and my aunties and uncles and my grandmother and, um, and, and my neighbours. Um, yeah, I... I grew up in a forest, really, of of people as well as in a forest, a forest by a forest, near a forest. Um, you know, and there's all sort of shapes and sizes and stuff, but um, I felt loved by all of them. Mm. And, and I guess I felt full of wonder, mm. and I guess I've never lost that. Mm. So I think it's... So the wonder wonder at being alive or yeah the wonder yeah wonder filled like um sort of curious Mm. i guess and um and also able to celebrate to know how to celebrate together Mm. to come together with people and to to celebrate and yeah whatever we need to celebrate yeah no, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad you used the word curious because to me, wonder and curiosity are directly linked. And on this podcast, quite often I'll try to phrase my questions as, I'm curious, tell me more about, because the reason I s- use that phrase is, I'm not sure if the listeners know this, but I'm trying to 
hopefully influence their own perceptions that they can be curious as well mm -hmm. and they can ask the questions of people that they meet because I think that's the door that unlocks so much um, learning is yeah. being curious. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. So just talk us through a bit more, I guess, in terms of writing, was that something you were doing as a child as well, or is it something that developed later on in life? Or? You mean writing poetry? Writing poetry, and there's a number of things. You know, we've got this novel that's just come out right between us. You know, was that, yeah, was that writing something that began early, or did it come later? Yeah, I think, I, well, I've been writing poetry a long time, mm. and I, when I was at university, I used to read poetry around the pubs with Kerry Hume and... Um, you know, a few other people. There's a group of us that we used to go around and mm. we used to go and to pubs filled with people and we'd just read this poetry. Everything we, everything would stop dead and we would read this poetry. Who so. are these people arriving? <laughs> <laughs> these people. And so I guess I did a, did a lot of poetry reading yeah. and I was involved in a lot of um, demonstrations too. Like, right. Um, so what era are we talking about? Was this well, Springboks tour type yeah, thing? Or was that, it earlier? That was later. It was a bit earlier. It was... I was just after the end of the Vietnam, and I was in seventh form when New Zealand pulled out of the Vietnam War. Okay. And our seventh form with our head teacher went on the last anti-Vietnam War march, and she was the only head teacher in New Zealand that did that. Wow. So um, I went to Villa Maria up the road here, <laughs> and um, yeah, we were. So that got you a taste of protest, I guess. Oh, I was. That I was, your first introduction I was no, that wasn't my first introduction because of the education that I had. It was. It was post-Vatican II, and it was liberation theology. And, okay. Um, so I was educated in... Um, so just remind me, what, what year was that? Was that in late 60s? 74, no, 74. Okay, yeah. 74, right. Yeah, yeah, that was when I think we pulled out of them. Yeah, right. I think that was the year. <laughs> God, I hope that's right. I want to write, yeah. Uh, so we, were, we did, like, reclaim the night marches. Okay. And... Um, we, we were in, yeah, Springbok tour was one of our 163 days, that was, yeah. Right. Um, so did your poetry, was it influenced by these protests and things, or? Oh, yeah, I used to read poetry at the protests and right. stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to write poetry on the streets, on the ground and stuff. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, because poetry is like, I don't know, poetry can... You can say a lot in a little, you know. Yeah. And then people remember it too. Yeah. I've often felt that actually. You can write a 500-page book and you can write a few lines. You're more likely to remember the lines mm. than the content of that book, aren't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you say a lot of things in 500 pages. You don't need You, you don't need, need You to. might say them a lot of times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah, some of the best lines that I can think of come from poems, you know, two mm -hmm. roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the road less traveled by. Like, it's so simple, mm -hmm. but very memorable. Mm -hmm. Why do you write poems? I suppose <laughs> I, I think it's eloquent. <laughs> uh, yeah, and often it, often it is, is mindful of, of the environment. Mm -hmm. Because to write a poem, you have to be in the moment, don't you? Yeah, you have to be attentive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And still and quiet mm. and not busy talking. <laughs> <laughs> Do the poems, 
do the poems come to you, I guess, as gifts that you write out, or are they things that are hard work that take time to craft? Um, both of those things. Uh, so even like this book that I've just written, Inangahua Gold, mm-hmm. it, I feel it, it writes itself. Mm. And, and then it's all written. <laughs> and then it's all there. And it's written itself into the world. And, and then afterwards I will go back and I will do edit work on it. Um, yeah. And, and maybe with the help of other people as well and until we've got it into a way that can go into the world. But mm. So you're a transcriber of yeah. something that had to come out. Yeah. And where does it come from? <laughs> uh, well, I guess Jung might say the collective subconscious, or <laughs> <laughs> I might say it's angels, or the communion of saints, or the um, or from the trees or the birds. Um, it, it just is, and I I don't fight with it like I used to. I mean, I was about 26, 27, I thought I'd do this and that and I'd be a lecturer and do this. And and um, I got I got crook, I had a really bad back injury and I couldn't do anything, I could just lie my back and write. And, mm. and then I realised that was really all I did have to do. <laughs> so <laughs> so, um, so yeah. since then I've just written, really, I just write. I make films and books and write. Mm. And uh, I just get on with it because that's really what I'm here for. So. Mm. Oh, that's great. It's wonderful to talk with someone who's, that's their focus. So just take us, was it the 26, 27 years old? Was that the version of you that started sort of publishing things? Because you've oh, no, been I writing stuff for... published before that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I did stuff with Nags Head Press. It was, it was oh, the okay. old, oldest hand press in New Zealand. Yeah. And these guys, Gormax, set it up. And they published uh, my first two collections of poetry I did with them, uh, right. Gyp- Gypsy and Tara. And um, they sold out in three months, and they they did they were really happy with it. And yeah, and I love hand presses; they're really yeah, cool. it's so much more beautiful, isn't it? Especially limited edition. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're beautiful. But the trouble is, <laughs> they all sell out, you know. And then you know, people are going, "Okay, where's your poetry books?" And I'm going, "Well, I don't have any left, you know." They're so, somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I've got a, I've only got a couple of each. So I guess that's the thing about a limited edition. Mm. I mean, it's pretty special i mean they become more valuable but mm. yeah there's something special about the limited editions and would would you normally sign them as well like yeah. copy number one of yeah. 75 or 500 yeah. or whatever yeah they have copies i think that i can't remember they did 376 or 500 and they, they do certain number mm. and they have each each yeah. one has a number yeah. yeah 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 one of the poets that i've always appreciated is alan kernow yeah. so he he spent a lot of time in Christchurch and over the years he published many many books as you know Mm. (laughs) uh, right up until I think he was 90 years old in Mm. 2001 when he passed away incredible career Um, but I've been collecting his poetry books for the last 10 years and now I'm finally getting all of them (laughs) Mm. (laughs) which is uh, but the ones that I love the most are the ones where he had inscribed them to someone and there's that connection between the paper and the person and they actually held it, and these are their thoughts, and I just love that. Um, oh, that's that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, because yeah. it's about signing your book, and yeah. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. 
is it's a well, it's a person you know it's being in that moment at some moment in time yeah. the author held this book and so that's a for me that's a really direct connection I guess mm. to the authors yeah, yeah. so um, in terms of what you were doing did you go to university and and study there or what yeah I went to the University of Canterbury here yeah. okay yeah and I did um, I did English and Maori and mm. but mostly I did um, Asian history. Oh, okay. Under a guy called Ed Zed and um, Professor Ed Zed and I, I got into Japanese and Chinese and mm. Indian history. Yeah. And I also majored in religious studies. Right. So then I studied Hinduism and Christianity, and ah, Buddhism and Islam. Yeah. yeah. And what? degree do you end up with once you've studied all those things or do you have multiple <laughs> yeah I've got multiple, <laughs> multiple <things>. subjects <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah I do yeah. yeah it's an arts degree but it's multiple yeah yeah that's great yeah. and so you were studying all of those things at the same time mm. yeah yeah that's what I studied yeah and then since since then um, you mentioned um, films for example it, was that something you were doing at that time, or did that come no, later? No, or? that came later. I did, I did poetry, and then I travelled in um, South America and mm-hmm. uh, North America and Asia, mm-hmm. and I um, then I did a postgraduate diploma at Victoria in accountancy mm-hmm. because I decided by then I wanted to be a writer, and I was going to work. I figured I could work two days a week, and then I could write. Right. Um, so that was my to aim, I thought, okay, because I, I checked around in, the, in my 20s and I saw that there were six people in New Zealand able to make an income from writing and they were all over 40 and I wasn't anywhere near that. Right. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so how am I going to live, you know, And because um, I did lots of other jobs like, you know, cleaning and mm. stuff trying to make ends meet. And um, so then I figured I'd do that and I could, yeah, so I did that for a while. Mm. But you always knew you were a writer. I just wrote all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did poetry. That was my first thing I did. Mm-hmm. And then I got into plays. And we set up a group called Women's Action Theatre Group. Okay. And there was also a group I did with Bill Doreen um, in Cashel Street. And that was... Um, I did my first plays. Yeah, I did a couple of plays with... Three plays with them. And... So you were back here in Christchurch at that time? I was in Christchurch at that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, then I was in Melbourne too. I did some, I did a play over in Melbourne as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Sydney. Oh, it's in poetry in Sydney. Yeah. And in San Francisco, I did poetry too. I can't remember. It's poetry I did San Francisco, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, but we set up Women's Action Theatre here in Christchurch, yeah. Okay. So we ran that for about 10 years. We did, we did uh, theatre theatre at the free theatre and at the court theatre and I did write a lot of plays for them mm. and we toured them around the country mm. so our fa- most famous one was called Mother Tongue yeah okay yeah ah. so you've been involved in a number of different creative endeavours over the years tell me about the creative writing process for you like is there a time of day when it's better for you or how does it how does it look uh, I'm good from about six o'clock in the morning till about one mm-hmm. and from one to three I'm no good and then at four again four o'clock again I can start right yeah why is that do you think oh I don't know I, I it's a sort of 
I'm just, I think it's a time where you go to sleep or you go to walk or <laughs> <laughs> you go and have a talk or have a cup of tea or something. I don't know. Mm. Like, but in the morning, like at six o'clock, you'll wake up with an idea and, yeah, and get it out at yeah, that morning, point? Or? Um, it just comes whenever, really. It doesn't mm. have to be six o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. But does the morning's a good time? Yeah. Mm. But it's also late afternoons right again, too. Yeah. 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 That's great. <laughs> um, and so just talk us through some of the, I guess, the different pieces that you've worked on or the, you know, the books and the poetry. Like, has there been some consistent pattern to what you've done or have you gotten more into this type of writing more recently? Or? Yeah, the, the most recent books I've done, I've just done two novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Earthquakes and Butterflies was the first novel that I did. And I, that started out as a play Right. And and I was working on that for the court theatre, but then I decided, no, it, I couldn't say everything I needed to say in the play, and it, 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 I thought I was going to do it as a film. So then I started look, working in it as a film, and then I said, no, it's not a film. This is a novel. So right. that was my first novel. So <laughs> it became a novel first, and now it's also been a play. At the tra- it's playing at the Transitional Cathedral in February next year again. Mm. Um over the four days, the earthquake days, around February the 22nd. Right. So the novel with a title like that and living in Christchurch relates back to the earthquakes and yeah, everything that yeah. Had happened. Yeah, yeah so there's a, there's a diary, but then there's, there's a novel. It's a story about six, seven people mm-hmm. and their, their journeys through the quakes and how they intersect and, yeah. Yeah. And so that was my first novel. And this second novel... Inangahua Gold, uh, it's about birthing, it, it's an interaction, it's how we're coming into being and the wisdoms that are being brought to bear as we are coming into being and that we have to attend to and let be and let them rise to the surface in our lives and not ignore them uh, so what do you mean when you're saying coming into being what what are you talking about there um, well it's a coming into being of of Aotearoa New Zealand and um, it's an evolving I guess it's an evolution that's taking place here mm-hmm um, in these mountains and under the sun here and on these islands, um, you know, mm. which are mostly water, as said and said. Uh, so to examine that, you've gone back in time, haven't you? Is it the 1880s this is set or even earlier than it's that? It's 1857 and, 1857 and 1877. Okay. Yeah. So um, at, I went to something where you were reading some of it um, you you described in I think a great aunt was it? Oh yeah. Or how did that? What was that experience? And yeah, when I was um, in my twenties, I was living in Wellington, and I was going up and interviewing my great aunt Mary um, Gallagher Crowley. Um, she was ninety six, and I would go up and um, I'd interviewed her about her life, really, because hmm. my granddad had died just before I was born. And she was his favourite sister. And 
she talks about uh, she talked about a whole world really that she grew up in on the coast in the 1880s right and there was all these cultures coming together probably a bit like Christchurch at the moment really mm-hmm. and um, yeah it was really the the dawning of what was what was to come mm-hmm. and um, yeah she grew grew up in a place where Maori and Chinese and Irish and Latin were all spoken you know and um she used to worry about us because we, <laughs> we just had one language here. She was very concerned right. about people growing up with only one language. She thought that wasn't such a great thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you were interviewing her when she was 96. Yeah. And so 100 years before, she'd been a child in the 1880s. Yeah. yeah. So it was pretty cool. It's um, quite a legacy, yeah. I was very lucky to be able to talk with her. And she was... She was an amazing, she was a wonderful pianist. So she used to wake up in the morning and go down about 10 o'clock and play the piano for the old people in the rest time. And they used to listen. She used to play for about an hour every day. Really? Yeah. Wow. And she's much older than most of the people there? Yeah, she was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great spirit to have. But um, There's a little bit here I, I, I'm just going to quote from, so it might help. Yeah. This is about what happens in Te Waiponamu Wai when folk from worlds which recognize and read the sensuous talk with birds, memorize land roots in their bodies and chant and song, encounter folk who do not even observe the changing positions of the moon in the sky each day and who are concerned primarily with getting somewhere and accumulating something. And so this is about these worlds coming together Mm. and what it's important for us to remember Mm. that sometimes we've forgotten. Mm. And, um, yeah. So that ties back to what we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, about the old Celtic and the Mm -hmm. old Māori. Mm Mm-hmm. In the Celtic and the and the Maori worlds as they are now too, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. So, what else do you think we've forgotten? How to be quiet and how to listen to somebody without saying a word, like. Um, How to just be beside somebody. Like little kids know how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) They just be with people and they know, they sort of know from just being beside somebody Mm. what that person feels like. Mm. You know, and animals know how to be like that. Mm. So it comes back to that sense for many of us that there's a rush that you've got to get to the next appointment. You've got the next email to check. Yeah. As Slowing if, down. Yeah, as if the doing matters that much, you know. Mm. But it's like the being, yeah. Mm. And letting that softness through. Well, Kathleen, I'd love to hear a little bit of the book. Um, do you mind reading us an extract? Yeah, sure. I'll read you a bit here. 
Murphy sees the small cloud on the horizon growing bigger and darker and moving in their direction. It would be good to move on and get some miles under our belt for the day, says Pepper. I don't have enough money to pay you for more than six days. Kua taike mai na kapua haki wakiwa, says Rodeka. The rain clouds are already upon us, translates Murphy. Pepper looks at the ground and nods. He has no choice. He has no idea which way to go. Rodeka is watching Pepper. He pulls out his watch. 4.30pm, it says. The first thing she has noticed about Pepper is that he doesn't take notice of the things around him. He doesn't hear acutely. He doesn't feel or sense or smell something or someone who is right beside him. Surely he could sense, smell and hear acutely when he was born. He drinks, eats, defecates like an ordinary human. But Pepper is nervy, looking around, writing in his diary, pulling out his watch and looking at it. He's often thinking about the future or the past, but seldom the present, except when he gets into difficulty. Maybe his senses have been out of use for so long that they don't function as they could. She wonders what they teach them in England where he grew up, why he doesn't notice what is around him, but focuses his mind elsewhere on things that don't matter. She is curious about how he prizes his watch and the book and pencils he carries. She looks at the sky. Pepper looks at his watch. It's getting late, says Pepper. Tia kina te ahi, says Rodeka. You tend the fire, translates Murphy. And watch out for the rats, Murphy adds. Pepper tends the fire and watches out for the rats. He sees none. Murphy and Rodeka use their walking sticks to erect the struts for the tent beneath a gnarly old totara tree. They throw the tent Murphy's been carrying over the struts. They fill it with brushwood for bedding, lay out an oil sheet spread so there's no chance of damp coming through, and break off and bran- place some branches around the windward side. It's warm and snug. So I'll stop there. That's yeah, fun. that's very good. And it it's very consistent with the theme that's come through the podcast right from the beginning when we first started talking about being aware and being attentive. Yeah. So what happened in Earthquakes and Butterflies is that we got, we were forced to be attentive like it. <laughs> is the environment going, boom, okay. Yes, and so we had wake to, up. <laughs> okay, so we had to, we had to become attentive. And so that's what happens, you know, with, with us in that, in that mm-hmm. book is that this event happens so we are we are pushed into our attentiveness yes and this book goes back a little bit further and it's 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 letting that attentiveness come through so it just permeates mm. everything mm. you know it permeates our day to day activities you mm. know so like and it's really how we can how we can shift ourselves so that it permeates everything mm. yeah because the danger is some, an event like the earthquakes 
do wake people up because they're faced with their own mortality and they everybody knows someone who is affected, right? Mm. But as time goes on, people go back to sleep <laughs> and forget to have that attentiveness and awareness of how how wonderful life actually is. And then we get yeah, and then we so then we're waiting in another one <laughs> for another one. <laughs> so maybe it's better if it yeah, like if we just um, be attentive all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ideally, right? <laughs> yeah. But anyways. So that extract that you just read, do you remember? You know, we talked about how sometimes you feel like you're just transcribing what's there. Is that something that that part of the book? Do you remember writing it and thinking this is just flowing out, or or not? I don't think about it. Right. Yeah. So I just do it. Like mm-hmm. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I just have to remember to get a cup of tea or something. You know, sometimes. Yeah. Because I, sometimes I, I just write. I just sit there and I just write. It just keeps coming. So I yeah. don't really remember it like that. Yeah. No, that's good. Sorry. <laughs> no, it, there is no right answer. I'm only thinking of my own process because I love to write things as well. And sometimes... I, I tend to have two types of writing. The first is I'll be sitting there and I won't even know what is happening in the pot and it just comes out and I'm surprised at where the characters went and what they ended up doing. And that's the best type because it's, you know, I enjoy it more when this character is now, oh, what are they doing? Why are they doing? And it does feel a little bit like you're sort of you know, it, that the story is there and you're just the vehicle to, to type it out. And if you didn't do it, maybe someone else down the road would somehow be given that creative energy to, to yeah. type it out. Um, whereas the other type is more of the labored and often in my own work, because I work as a lawyer, so I have to type a lot and write things, but it's, it's more structured and it's more, there's certain things that you have to say and you're just... Yes, it's more work yeah. rather than the creative energy that um, the first part is. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's quite right, yeah. And it's quite interesting about somebody else might say it mm. because I was reading with Kerry Hume once at the Polytech and uh, I got up and I read this poem called Tara, which is the biggest poem in my first book that I wrote. And I read this poem and Kerry stands up and she looks at me and she goes, hey, this is really strange. And then she starts reading this poem, and it's also called Tara, and it's like it's a continuation. Mm. And she said, this is the first time I've ever read this book, this poem, and I said, this is the first time I've ever read this poem. Too. Right. <laughs> and so you're right. It's sort of like it's waiting to come in mm. to the world, and, yeah, mm. you know, you're right. And it's, yeah. Mm. So. Um, well, yeah. I guess the thing for the listeners is what, what is out there that's waiting for them to write? You know, I think that, so, yeah. that if we could each be attentive and ready to write, because that's what a poet is, isn't it? It's, it's being attentive and, and, and giving expression to the creativity that's there already. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Could I, ask, could I ask a favor, which is you saying a little Wyata, I think, at the, at the reading? And I thought it was really... Um, really special <laughs> I don't know a, if it's something that is easy to find and but yeah, I feel a, like it would fit well this interview is a very mellow I'm really enjoying it <laughs> and I think that that Waiata would help us to this this Waiata is from Aroha Yates Smith uh, Aroha composed that with 
when I was working with her on a mm. on a film. Ke te pare tonu mai te tai, ke te fiti tonu iho te ra, ke te kare tai o te moana, awe miriana e te tai. Ke te pare tonu mai te tai, Ke te fiti tonu iho te rā, ke te kare tai o te moana, awe miriana e te tai. The tide's still flowing, the sun still shines down on us. I'm caressed by the ocean and soothed by the water. That's great, thank you. There's one at the beginning. <clears throat> so this book is also about peace. And um, it's, a, it's a karang, so it's a bit strange doing it here. Ora hia te takapo he nei tiwa iwa he moenga tamariki he noho anga wānanga ki a taia i te rongo amarai te mauri e. Horahia te takapo he nei tiwa iwa he moenga tamariki he noho anga wānanga ki a taiai te rongo amarai te mauri e. Spread out the ceremonial mat of he nei tiwa iwa. Make a safe sleeping place for the children and a place to talk together where peace can be made and the mauri will be settled. Mm. It's beautiful, thank you. It's uh, It's been a fascinating discussion because when I came into the interview, I've got many emails that I've been reading and I've felt pressured. We're talking on a Friday afternoon, but I've really enjoyed our conversation because I feel like you've reminded me again of the importance of being alive and attentive in the moment. And I think that's something that the listeners will be able to take with them as well. So, yeah, thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, kia ora, Stephen. Thank you. Tina koutou. Tina koutou. Tina ratatou katoa. Kia ora. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. As you could probably tell, for me, it was a really deep one. And I really enjoyed where we went to in terms of thinking about poetry, the creative writing process, what it is that's important in life, and being attentive to the moment. If you enjoyed this episode, then consider checking out some of the earlier episodes that I've done as well. There's also a Facebook page, a Twitter profile, an Instagram account, all those types of things that you can follow as well to get some behind-the-scenes looks at what this podcast is about. And if you're listening in a podcast app, then hit subscribe to make sure that you don't miss out on future episodes. Until next time. <music>